So I am truly sorry that you're going to hear coughing near a microphone. Uh, we'll hope that it just doesn't do too bad. <clears throat> In John chapter 20, after we read last week of Joseph of Arimathea being a secret disciple until he went to get the body of Jesus, now it's out, and Nicodemus, <clears throat> in the fact that they would have regrets for not following him in his life, but they would not live in regret. There's a difference. And uh, if you weren't here, I highly recommend you go online and listen to that study because the response last week uh, told me that uh, we all needed to hear what I needed to hear, um, that many of us did. But additionally here, what John doesn't tell us, Matthew 26 does, and then there's other places in Luke and Mark that talk about the events that are surrounding the resurrection where you piece them all together. <clears throat> and I'll mention those in a moment. Uh, verses 1 through 10. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out with the other disciple, and which is John, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, which means he just walked right past into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed, for as yet, or up until this point, they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own home. <clears throat> what John doesn't tell us in Matthew 26 is that the Jewish leaders went to Pilate after the body of Jesus is taken down, after he's taken to the tomb. <clears throat> and they said to Pilate, Listen, we know that this deceiver said that in three days after he was dead, he'd rise again. So the disciples didn't know the scriptures. The disciples didn't hear Jesus, even though he said it to them many times. But Jesus' enemies remembered exactly what he said. His own guys didn't, wasn't getting through. But these guys got it. I, I have a bunch. Okay. <laughs> I can't chew on a, on a cough breath. I, I don't want to be spitting it at you. So uh, thank you very much. I see them trying to get me a, a cough lozenge. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> um, so uh, I don't think I can do it, two things at once. <clears throat> so uh, the, the, they said, we, this deceiver said in three days he'd rise again. Now lest we have a worse thing than the first thing with this guy, you need to do something. And, 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 and Pilate says, okay, look, at you have a guard. You have a watch, a guard, which could be four guys, but we see two typically in our histories, but we don't know for sure, <clears throat> that he says, uh, you have a guard, go make it as secure as you can. I love those words. 
Make it as secure as you can. Do everything, anything you need to do to make it secure. Now get out of my face is really his attitude too. As secure as you can. How secure can you make a tomb when Jesus is in it? Sorry, bud. (laughs) That ain't going to work. That ain't going to work. You make it as secure as you can. And, uh, you know, there's no security outside of Jesus Christ. The enemies, you know, so they put the large stone, the large stone. That stone, often they would carve a stone that was more like a giant wheel, really thick, almost like a grinding stone, only huge. They would have a build-up hill um, where where the coming down to where the um, hole in the uh, hole within the cave or the uh, tomb is, and they would have it you know would have it kept from falling, and then they'd pull out the stakes or whatever that held it, and they'd roll it downhill in a rut into place because it's easier to roll it down in than it would be to try to open it and get back in it. So you have to picture it's not just a round rock necessarily; it's just huge stone. It could be different shapes. There's not an absolute certainty here, but the enemies believe that Jesus claimed this. They want to stop any kind of possibility of anything. <coughs> and, and, and what's Mary going to do? Move this stone? She knows there's going to be a stone there. Did she think it would be that big? But either way, it's gone. And what about the soldiers? How was she going to get in there? Well, we'll talk about Mary more in a few minutes. <coughs> we read in the other Gospels that she came with other women in this early morning hour, and then when she runs to, to go get Peter and John, that's later on when she's not with them, the other ladies see the angels that tell them to go and quickly tell. But um, when, the, when the ladies do tell the disciples, we've, you know, the Lord is risen, we saw these angels. The disciples, it says, it says, but they, their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they did not believe them. This was the men of faith meeting. <clears throat> Their words seemed as idle tales, empty words, oh, you're hallucinating. You know, what non-believers say about this event is that some, that Christians, that the believers, they love Jesus so much, they just all hallucinated all this. Well, the disciples started it. (laughs) Except they changed their tune when they saw Jesus. So Peter and John, Peter goes right in there. He's more, you know, Peter's nature, open you know, open mouth and cert foot, you know, act first and think later. John is more contemplative, so he's kind of looking in there and he's, because what's he seeing? He's looking in the tomb and he sees the outline, the shape of the body to some degree, because remember, it wasn't just wrapped piece, giant linen wrap. <clears throat> it was strips of linen. We just read it last week. Strips of linen, they would wrap every limb. They would wrap your body up to the neck or high on the chest to the shoulders. And then they would put a, uh, that, that tunic, I mean that um, napkin thing was, or, or cloth was, would go around your face and possibly around the top of your head. <clears throat> but they would wrap this body, it was with 100 pounds of myrrh and aloes, and it's questionable as whether it was dry powder, because some say it was dry in between each layers, <laughs> to preserve the body from decay. <clears throat> or whether it was actually pasty, uh, which I had thought, but I'm not positive, but I know this, that there's a shape there, even if a thickness to it, that's still there. And so they're not seeing just linen flowing around like you might see in some movie. And it's why there's a question when he looks in, well, I think I see the body. You can kind of tell John's like, I'm, well, what? 
I'm not sure what I'm seeing here. Peter goes right in and looks, and then he sees both. John comes in, and then they both believe. What do they believe? That Jesus is risen. That he <clears throat> transcended this, 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 this shape and this stuff that was in him. I don't know, maybe it fell down too, but it wasn't just a piece of cloth. It was many pieces of cloth wound together with all this stuff. And they see that he's alive. You know, and the spices that they, again, to honor the dead, the women would be bringing spices on this Sunday morning. You know, they also wanted to honor him in his death and preserve his body. And it's kind of a hopeless cause, isn't it? You know, it's decaying from the moment you die. In fact, from you young people, when you hit 19 in two months, you start to go downhill. That's something like that, they say. It's like, you know. So in actuality, I look really good for my age since I started degrading at 19. <laughs> so we all look really good for our age, <laughs> if you base it on that. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, they, they don't see the shroud of Turin, this giant thing. They see this folded napkin. They see linen strips wrapped. The women come to bring uh, to preserve the body with these and to honor him with these spices. So what does this tell us? <clears throat> None of them thought Jesus was going to rise from the dead. You don't wrap a body you think is going to get up with 100 pounds of spices. You don't bring spices to a graveyard, to a tomb, to put on a body to keep decay if you think he's going to raise again. Is everybody clear on this? <laughs> that nobody's believing this, that he's going to rise from the dead. <clears throat> but but Peter and John see now, and they believe. They see the shape and the outline, but no body. They see a folded napkin. Who would fold? Would a body snatcher fold up the head napkin? Oh, we don't want to make a mess here. Why was it folded? You can conjecture. The thing that we know is that John noticed it, and that it was unique and amazing because somebody took the time. They weren't in a hurry. And it was, you know, it has to be Jesus himself where he says, hey, angels, you want to pick up this place for me? i got to go. <laughs> but, but, and I'm not trying to be light and smart, Alec, about an important issue. I'm saying it's so far beyond us, you have to laugh a little bit and go, this is amazing. So we're so, oh, the story, the story. I know the story. He rose. Oh, man. This is amazing. A risen Jesus. With all this, that Peter and John are so dumbfounded, though, they, they still just go home. <clears throat> but Mary, verse 11, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. She hadn't even really looked in yet. She stood weeping. You know, everyone who loves Jesus, who's been touched deeply by him, <clears throat> has deep emotion about him at some point. <clears throat> but but Mary Magdalene, maybe the deepest emotion, the deepest sense that you could ever think of and beyond. In Luke chapter 8, it says that there were women, along with her, of course, who followed and served Jesus as he was traveling, that cooked for him and took care of him and the boys and, and were just great disciples. It was these ladies. And, and in Luke 8, it says certain of these women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmity. They've been delivered, some of them, not just Mary Magdalene, but from, from demons, but it also says, and Mary Magdalene, out of whom the Lord took how many? Seven. Cast out seven. Count them seven demons. <clears throat> now, I've had bad days in my life. I've had torment. 
I wouldn't compare it with some of yours or other people's because it's been pretty fairly minimal if you were going to base it on outward circumstance. I mean, I've had death in my life at a young age, you know, family members. I've had pain of strained relationships and wondering if somebody was going to live and illness. And I've had, you know, troubles in the church and what, you know, I mean, I've had life. I'm only, you know, 41 years old. Look at this gray hair here. And, uh, you know, but I, I don't think I've had anything that I could. Can you imagine? 70. Can you imagine waking up in the morning if you, if you slept? And the first thing you know, it doesn't take you long to know I'm possessed. Whatever that means, however that feeling would be. And then to live all your every day and at night trying to go to sleep and all, all during the day. And, you know, who knows what her childhood was like? Was she, was she raised in some kind of a cultish situation, some horrific situation, and then demons enter her at a young age? We don't know the story. People conjecture a lot of things about her. that doesn't say she was a prostitute, but we can imagine this. <clears throat> Whatever it was like to have seven demons, you wouldn't trade places with her. You wouldn't trade problems with her. You wouldn't trade struggles with her. Is there anybody you'd pick? You know, maybe the guy, the only guy you go who's worse off than her is the guy with legion of demons and the Gadareans, okay? But once you get past one demon or get, I don't know, <laughs> I, have, I don't know about that very well, and neither do you. We just know that's a really bad thing. What causes, though, deep, deep love for Jesus the reason we read Psalm 18 is because it's got portions in it and much more than what we put on here. I, it was very hard to pick the verses. <clears throat> this, this, the psalmist talks about being delivered, delivered from the sorrows of Shul, of hell, and the snares of death, in distress, crying out to the Lord. And this is something that a Mary Magdalene might have done as well, crying out to God. What causes a person to have deep, deep love for Jesus? <clears throat> Why do I often, when we prepare to take communion, as we will today, speak to younger people and to those who kind of are just kind of blasé about, yeah, you know, I know I sin, and I know Jesus had to die for my sins on the cross. You know, I learned it in Sunday school. I believed it all my life. I had a few moments where I thought, you know, bad, and, and I realized, you know, how bad I, you know, I kind of sort of am, and well, but I'm not as bad as those guys and that guy and the other one. So, you know, I mean, you know, I know I need his blood, but hey, I dare you. I dare you to pray and say, God, open my eyes to see my sin and see how desperate I am for your salvation. That cross means that Jesus had to suffer the most horrific death, pay the most horrific penalty to deliver you. And you know that mentally, but do you know that in your heart? And I don't know that we can reach Mary of Magdalene's level or that we have to be challenged to do that. But I know we need to take it seriously. And I know one of my greatest, you know, I have all kinds of things that I could tell you about if I wasn't, so it wouldn't be purposeful for me to tell you all my sins. Some of them are obvious. <clears throat> but if I told you, that what amazes me is that how I can be blasé myself. I know all this. I know it. I know this. I do know it here. And yet, one of my greatest senses of knowing that I'm really uh, in need salvation and forgiveness is the fact and need God's mercy is how easily I can just be distracted 
and just go, yeah, but, you know, I got things to do. Right now I'm thinking about this and this and this and this. And I know this is all true, but, you know, okay. You know, how come I, how come I can be that way? Well, you can't be emotionally intense all the time. I'm not suggesting or asking you to do that. But do you ever have times where you just wonder about yourself? You know, I don't mean wonder. I hope it's not wonder about your salvation, unless you really need to, if you're really not saved. But I mean, wonder about where's where is that passion? You know, it's not something you can keep in a bottle and just take a drink of. Now I'm filled with passion again. You and you know what? It doesn't always mean you can come to church and sing songs and get it because you sang. We're not looking for a formula here. If you are sorry. We're not offering a formula to be pumped up. That can also have drawbacks, too. You pump, 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 up, and then pump, 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 pump it up to try to stay emotionally high. I'm not suggesting that to you. There are churches where that's kind of how it goes. There are Christians, that's how it goes. And I'm not trying to mock. I'm just saying there's all kinds of us here, aren't there? But we all have this deep, deep, deep need. And, but we don't always know it. We're not always aware of it. I don't know if you can be. Are you willing to stop right now since we're here and really ponder it? Or is something else too important right now? It's just pulling your head away. It's just pulling your heart away. You can't do it. Why is that? If that's you. It, that shows you your need for Jesus. That if he doesn't come to you, he doesn't deliver you. It's not just from all the wickedness. It's from the lack of love for him. It's, it's so many things that tell me I need a savior. Sometimes it's my wickedness. <laughs> but sometimes it's just my laziness and my lackness and my nothingness and my selfishness. It doesn't have to be the worst, worst demonized thing that could happen. That's why I dare people and dare myself, Lord, open my eyes. And <clears throat> I don't ask him that a lot anymore because he seems to have opened my eyes a lot. And I'm kind of, you know, just working through that myself. You know, I do ask him when I need to. And I encourage you to. But this is her master. <clears throat> this is her rabbi. Her, this is her deliverer. deliverer. He is her deliverer, too. <laughs> but she will not be thwarted from honoring him in his death. Her heart is broken. This is the man. This is the man that came from God and delivered her. She was doomed. She was trapped. She was hopeless. She was helpless. And God came to her and delivered her through Jesus. This mattered to her. So one more thought on this. What about my emotions? So, so do you need to have seven demons before you get excited about Jesus, before you get intense about him, before you choose to say, yeah, you know what? I need to really ponder that. Lord, where am I in my walk? Do you need to have something go horrible to get delivered from beyond it? Can your eyes be opened without all that? I don't know. I'm not God. Jesus reveals himself first not to the apostles, the high-level men of God, but the first one to see the risen Lord is a woman, a woman who was completely, hopelessly lost that was delivered by Jesus. 
And in her day, in her day, a testimony of a woman was not accepted in court. You'd have to have a man verify it. I know that sounds you like Islam, but in all of history, men dominated the world, and, and men abused women. And Jesus turned the world upside down. And he proved that there's neither male nor female in Christ. Yes, there's clear roles, and we're not going to develop that today, but there's clear roles. It's important for a man to be a man and a woman to be a woman. So, and, and the church has clear roles for a lot of things, but it doesn't have anything to do with equality. There's neither Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Do you realize how this is Galatians 3.28? There is neither Jew nor Greek. Now stop there for a minute. <clears throat> Jews thought that anybody who wasn't Jewish, the Greek represents all of the Gentile world to the Jew when Paul speaks these things. And in Galatians, he's specifically speaking about Jewish self-righteousness and, and, and the fact that uh, Christ is freely given to all. And so there's neither Jew nor Greek. The Greek was the Jews just looked at them as being fodder for hell. They didn't see any value. I don't mean all Jews, but the Jewish, the, the progression of Judaism, not because of Christ or God in the Old Testament, but because of human nature being weak as they became self-righteous so much to the point they wanted nothing to do with Gentiles. They were pulling their hair out when the apostles start preaching to Gentiles, when Paul starts going to Gentiles, when Peter and Paul stand up in Acts 15 and say, we, Peter says, we believe that we Jews and these Gentiles are saved exactly the same way. Kilam is what, fortunately, they were speaking to Christians who were choking on it and trying to deal with it. And it took a long time for the church to figure it out. Some haven't figured it out today. <clears throat> There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free. How many slaves in Rome at the time? 60 million. And even in Judaism, they were allowed to have a servitude time of six years for Jews. And then in certain circumstances, they would have slaves treated completely different. What was God's end goal? To stop slavery, which he would do. And even in the scriptures in the New Testament, he said, are you a slave? Don't worry about it. But if you can get free, be free. Are you a master? Treat your servant like a brother. Philemon and um, Onesimus, you guys are brothers. Treat each other. You're to be brothers. There's to be forgiveness and healing, and I'm not going to go through all those stories in detail, but the progression of what God is showing about himself is there's no Jew or Greek, there's no bond or free, there's no male or female, for you're all one in Christ. <clears throat> you, for the most part, are Americans. So your history in recent your lifetime has been a history of freedom. You, we elect a president from what? Any U.S.-born <laughs> citizen, meaning to a uh, you know mother or father who's American, and you can all debate all that. I'm not. My point isn't to deal with that. My point is that basically it says it has to be a, a a a a citizen, born citizen of the United States, and then there's a few. The list is very short. Thirty-five years old. I think they can't have any um have any uh, what do you call it? They can't have been in prison, can they? Felonies. Okay, and a couple other things. Anybody in the nation, anybody can be president. You're saying, well, Rick, I'm glad you're so excited getting apoplexy up there. Uh, uh, like, so? Whatever. You know, like we know that. No, well, you know, all of history. Nobody knew that. It was the very rich and the very poor all around the world 
unless it was just villages where everybody was kind of just poor. But even then, when you had a hierarchy and a chief, it was he was everything and everybody else was nothing. You know, from Ralph Cramden and his wife, you know, I'm everything, I'm the king, you're nothing, to the, to the chiefs of villages, to the aristocracy and the, and the people, the dukes and all these guys and kings. And you didn't get a chance to move from your caste, even though it wasn't called a caste everywhere. You couldn't just go and suddenly become the ruler of a nation. That didn't happen to the United States of America. Do you realize that? In the world, that didn't happen. It happens now because United States of America. USA, USA. I just thought, <laughs> what I'm saying to you, even with all our failings in the Scripture, against the Scripture, because that's what happens. People take the Bible and throw out the things they don't like and twist the things they don't like and make it say what they want it to say. So we had our concepts directly from the Bible, even though they were abused. With, in the treatment of women, still was abusive. Of course, slavery. And, but it was Christians who went into the Bible and said, wait a minute. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, not put her under your thumb. It says, there's neither uh, slave nor uh, free. We're all one in Christ. Why are we holding slaves? Started in Britain with William Wilberforce, a Christian. Christians who actually took the Bible at its word would find its way through. The American Revolution was an outgrowth of the gospel Even though men were imperfect and failed to follow it perfectly, we have a perfect Savior who showed the way and who is the way. And all you got to do is, when you see the comparisons with other religions and you get scared because of, well, that sounds, the Old Testament sounds like some of the stuff in Islam, all you have to do is go to Jesus. Go to the author of life and see how he operated and who he is. All I have to do is go to Muhammad and see how he operated and see the distinction between them just right there, let alone the rest of biblical truth and the progression of revelation of God's plan for man to be one in him. You know, in Corinthians 11, they were, they were not waiting for each other. They would have a love feast. When they had communion, it was like they'd be around their tables or on the floor or whatever with their food, and they would say a prayer and drink the cup and break the bread and eat the bread and then feast together in fellowship. It was their agape feast. But what they were doing, the rich people would come because there was rich people and there was poor people because Corinth wasn't the USA. There may have been some in-betweens. It's not like it's only that all the time, but you get my point. <clears throat> but they're there and the rich people are, you know, this got turkey dinner and, you know, um, you know, whatever here going in steaks, and these guys over here, and you know, eighteen of them are sharing a hot pocket, and uh, it's like, and these guys aren't—they're not waiting for each other, and they're not sharing in it together. It's kind of dividing into the natural way that men divide into their social order, into their social order. If you're part of this church, you've been here a while. What would you do? If suddenly you saw me and a few leaders start picking out rich people and just bringing them, oh, we're going to put the good chairs right up here for these guys. And, uh, <clears throat> um, you know, it didn't matter if they're spiritual or not. Whatever they say goes. <clears throat> you know, that still happens. You'd be so appalled you'd leave this church because you're so used to all for one and one for all. 
You know, you know, there's leadership and there's structure, but it's not to overlord you or to have superstars and nobodies. It's to point to the one star, the king, and that we're all his brethren and children. But that's not a concept that people knew, folks. <clears throat> so Jesus is the liberator of women, the liberator of men, the liberator of cultures. And just because we mess it up, don't try to find another model outside of Jesus Christ because you'll mess it up worse. So, the stone, verses uh, 12 through 17. And she saw two angels, Mary, she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've lain them. And one thing you derive from this immediately is she doesn't think they're angels. Because I think, unless she's so overwhelmed with grief, I don't care if your angel's there. If she knew there were angels, the least thing she'd do is say, well, your angels, tell me where he is, because you would know. So she's, she's not seeing it. <clears throat> now, and, uh, and now when she had said this, 14, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. Well, she didn't recognize him either because he's hidden from her in a sense. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposed him to be the gardener and said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. So a 150 to 175-pound man wrapped in 100 pounds of stuff. Love believes all things. <laughs> love uh, love uh, uh, is unquenchable. <clears throat> uh, love is stronger than death. And so uh, she, she says, I'll, I'll go get him. Jesus says to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. <coughs> Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, same father. And to my God and your God. Yes. So what we really have <clears throat> Mary only saw the stone rolled away, and intuitively and passionately, she's standing and weeping. She just, there's nothing else she can do. And later, the other woman, as we said, will hear and see the angels. But when Peter and John don't see, Mary does. See, she didn't see something they saw, but she sees something they didn't see. Two angels, one at the each end of the flat spot they carved out of the stone within the stone cave. And that was not only reminiscent, but is prophetic fulfillment of Exodus 37, where you see, make an ark with a mercy seat on top of it and put the Ten Commandments and the manna and Aaron's rod that budded in it. And it will be wood, acacia wood overlaid with gold with a mercy seat in the middle and two cherubim, two angelic beings up with their wings above their heads touching in the center towards each other because that's where I'll come and meet with you keep that in the most holy place of all and the high priest will only go once a year and pour blood upon that altar and upon that mercy seat and wouldn't that be so clear here the mercy the redemption does she realize any of this she doesn't but she turns and then there's Jesus and Jesus says one word to Mary Mary says her name you know, in John 10, <coughs> it's got to be annoying. I'm so sorry. 
in John 10, when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. There's a lot of ways you know the voice of the Lord. It doesn't be that you, I, I, you know, you don't have to hear Kevin. You don't, you don't have, Deb. You don't have to hear your name necessarily, but there are times where you'll sense it. The, the, the whole point of this is, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> my sheep hear my voice. She hears his voice. He calls her by name. She says, Rabboni, my teacher. Undoubtedly, she's falling to reach her arms around his legs because even in the most dire straits, a woman in that, in, a, in that culture would not wrap her arms around a man at his shoulders and just hug him like that. That wasn't a, a common thing that would ever really happen. And you can just picture her. I don't know for sure, but the odds are she fell to her knees and was going to wrap around his legs. Don't, don't hold on to me here. I've got work to do yet. Because he also said in John 10, I have other sheep. <clears throat> which are not of this fold, them I must also bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. There's one shepherd, one great shepherd. All pastors, all leaders are under shepherds, just doing the work in his field, among his flock. He all belong to Jesus. Pastor doesn't own his church, doesn't own his church people. <laughs> They're God's people, which... Paul said, take heed yourselves into the flock of God, which Jesus purchased with his own blood. You know, people give me credit. Oh, you came out from Oregon and risked so much to come here and start a church and be the shepherd. <laughs> well, I still have my blood, you know, and I've gotten a lot of good for the energy I've put out. You know, I thank God for the opportunity, but, uh, you know, nobody's going to match Jesus there are people who give their blood, who die for the gospel's sake. That is true. <clears throat> but he purchased us with his blood. His blood was pure, the righteous for the unrighteous, crown for crown, will exchange. So I have other sheep. So, you know, hearing his voice, you know, the Lord doesn't call you, oh, Christian number, instead of Mia, he doesn't say number Two billion eight hundred twenty-seven million three hundred sixty-five thousand and twenty-two. Attention. He doesn't say hashtag your you know number. He doesn't call you by a number. He calls you by your name. He speaks to you personally. He speaks to you privately. He says the same things he's saying to other people, but he says it to you, right inside your heart. Your spirit being joined to him, he speaks his word to you. The reason we believe the Bible is not only all the <coughs> empirical evidence, it's because we've experienced him speaking his word to our, our hearts and revealing himself to us. That doesn't happen by chance. That happens by the planned work of the Holy Spirit to draw you to him. And you know what? Our communion, there's... None of us can be greater than or try to match with Mary Magdalene, but we come to the Savior who calls us by name, <coughs> who delivered us from death, from eternal separation from God, from the one who knows you better than you know yourself. Now, I'm going to take our last minute here to develop this because I didn't know I would, but I'm sure that I'm supposed to. I do know this, Jeremiah 17.10, when the Lord says... Um, 
the human heart's desperate and deceitfully wicked. He goes on to say, <clears throat> who knows his own heart? I, the Lord, search the heart. He goes, who of you knows your own heart? And I mean, a lot of people would say, well, I know my heart. I know exactly how I feel. Well, you know how you feel does not mean you know your heart. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Second Chronicles 6, <clears throat> Solomon praying and dedicating the temple and says, when we go astray and do all these things, hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and give to everyone according to his ways whose heart you know. <clears throat> For you alone know the hearts of the sons of men. God knows your heart. Now, to give me according to my heart is a little scary to me if there's some kind of like interaction there, like Jesus, <laughs> intercession. <clears throat> so that has to be the heart that has drawn me out to turn to him. <clears throat> God saw my desperate, wicked heart, and he gave me Jesus. Amen. And you know, the thing is, is that you think you know your heart. We were... Uh, I was talking at an event at a memorial service this week, and uh, I, I said, you know, you might think that you know what this person would say. If they were here right now, they'd say this. You know how people say that? And that's true on this side of eternity. If the guy was sitting right here, and he hadn't died and gone to be with the Lord, to see the Lord, whether a saved person or unsaved, you can say all these things they'd say right now, but that's... Not right now. That's not really true. What would they say right now? Ask the rich man that, with Lazarus. Or look at the scriptures because what they're seeing is the fulfillment of what you're trusting in and trying to understand. So they would tell you exactly what the scriptures say about something if they were here right now from the other side. That if people go to the other side and really see God, they'll tell you things that are scriptural and biblical and true. If it's not, then I have great question about what they really saw. Satan himself can appear as an angel of light. So, and if they say a lot of stuff that's extra biblical, it's just a grain of salt. I don't base my life on any of that. Why would I when I have clear scripture that's absolute and certain? And somebody's experience that may or may not be accurate. I just don't know, so I don't waste a lot of time on it. You may feel differently. It's free country. <laughs> but I just don't waste a lot of time on it. Paul the Apostle had very little to say about what he saw in heaven. Now, that's not the whole story, but it just kind of tones me a little bit from getting too excited about everybody's story with stuff that you can't verify. I can verify the scriptures. And so, so God knows my heart. And here's, here's the part that, that what that means for us today, as far as I can understand right now. <clears throat> Something what that means is that he is called the Wonderful and the Counselor. And I don't think it's wrong to have people counsel you biblically and to have people even who are professional who follow scriptural truth, counsel you. I'm not here to judge that. I want to be a part of the best of that and help the most that I can. But I'll tell you what, you have a counselor. He lives inside of you. He knows you like nobody is ever going to know you. 
He sees you like nobody is ever going to see you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And the Word of God cuts between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It tells us in Hebrews 4. But even more so, too, God can speak to you if you're willing and reveal things to you about yourself that you never knew. He can counsel you instead of saying, but I see it this way, I feel this, and if it doesn't fit with what I see and with what I feel, it must be wrong. Why isn't God doing this? Why isn't God doing that? When is God going to do this? I get it. We're all in that boat sometimes, aren't we? But are you willing to say, but I am not my best counselor? God is. God is my counselor. And he can discern, and he knows my heart. And God saw my desperate, wicked heart. I don't have to be Mary Magdalene to be thankful. He gave me Jesus. God saw Mary's heart and revealed himself, not because she'd earned his favor by good works, but because she needed him greatly, and he delivered her. She needed him greatly, and he delivered her. Does anybody fit in that boat today? You need him greatly. You may be waiting for some sort of deliverance. But why we take communion is what you're saying. If you come and receive this cup and this bread, you are saying, Jesus, you are my deliverer. You are my ultimate deliverance. And the fact that I'm disconnected from that, it's not changing me, means something needs to happen in me to believe you more, to accept you, to just let, you just need to counsel me beyond my emotions and my thoughts. And is it, am I saying, just, oh, snap, then it's all done and you're, everything's groovy? No, life can be hard. But that's the direction that you take. If you want to get somewhere, get on the right road and get the right direction going. Is that true? So this is our direction for our fellowship with God, and it is the completion too, because it's a finished work. So I'm going to rest in that and believe it, and I'm also going to let the Lord work with me. So as the musicians come up and we sing, <clears throat> in the first, for at least a little bit in the first song, just have some time there before you get up out of your chair, and then we'll release you as you want to. If you're new with us, there's no pressure on you to take communion. We believe that we, we're still doing it together here. We've waited on one another by being together in the room. We're still letting you have personal time today in the way that we often do it. But we, we change it up, and we believe that we're all here, and the same blood that was poured out for you was poured out for me. The same body that was broken for you was broken for me. So you and I are a lot more alike than we are different because our need for deliverance and a deliverer is exactly the same. And thank you. We can put